Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. Hospitals in San Diego's South Bay are so overwhelmed with patients that Sharps and Scripps Hospitals in Chula Vista have declared internal disasters. Paul Sisson covers healthcare at the UT. Uh, so Paul, can you paint a picture of what's going on? Why are we seeing the state of emergency within medical facilities? Yeah, as we discussed before, it's it's really a twofold cause. Uh, you know, you have a large number of people right now testing positive uh, for coronavirus infection, uh, following a lot of uh, social activity during the holidays. Uh, and you also have a continuing demand for uh, non-COVID-related health care. A lot of people think that's linked to all the delayed care from 2020 and early 2021. People with uh, chronic diseases like diabetes and other things put off uh, coming in. They were afraid of getting sick uh, or, you know, uh, in a lot of cases, uh, procedures that weren't emergencies just got delayed. Um, and so, you know, those problems worsened and now people are at the point where they feel like they have to come forward and, and get taken care of. Uh, so, so you have a twofold greater demand for healthcare uh, services. Uh, and then at the same time, you've got a situation where a lot of healthcare workers are testing positive themselves for COVID, uh, or you know they may have a kid in their household who's testing positive. Um, they, they need to stay home and take care of their kid. So uh, you have a lot of uh, healthcare workers who are calling out sick at the last minute and leaving hospitals understaffed. They're, they don't, just don't have as much staffing per vet as they usually do. Uh, so you know those two things combining uh, are creating the situation where. They just can't clear people out of emergency room beds quickly enough that their, their main hospitals are generally quite full, uh, or if they're not full, they don't have enough staff for every single bed in the main hospital. So then if somebody comes in with, uh, let's say, a gastrointestinal bleed or something like that, it's going to need a hospital stay, maybe a short one, maybe just a couple of days. Um, you know, there's just nowhere for that person to move into uh, in the main hospital. So they end up sitting uh, in the uh, the emergency room beds for much longer than they should. Uh, and that keeps them from bringing in more people uh, through the front door of the emergency room. It creates this, uh, this gridlock situation that we've been covering for the last few weeks. Um, you know, uh, now there's a third situation going on here as well. Um, typically what hospitals have always done when they get this gridlock situation, uh, you know, it's not uncommon for, for patients to back up uh, into an emergency room, so you know, waiting for admission into a main hospital. That's a problem that hospitals have been dealing with forever. Uh, traditionally, what they're able to do is rely on their um, on their colleagues in the community to back them up. When when they get in that situation, they they just kind of raise their hand and say, "Okay, uh, we're going to go on diversion uh, for a few hours and give ourselves some time to kind of take up this slack." Um, and, and last week, the county said, hey, y'all are all going on diversion all at once. Um, and that means that ambulances that are picking up new patients in the field really have nowhere to go in, in many cases. If, if you have everybody on diversion, then nobody's on diversion. Um, that's kind of how it works. Uh, so, so the county last week said, hey, guys, no more. You guys can't decide you're on diversion anymore for the next two weeks. Uh, only we shall decide who who is uh, having their ambulance traffic diverted. You guys no longer have that power yourselves for the next two weeks because all of you are taking it at the same time. And so it's doing nobody any good. Uh, and so that kind of that combination of 
of this increase in demand, uh, drop in staffing, and then also an overall inundation countywide that has caused the county to take away that diversion tool kind of create the perfect storm for situations like we ended up with in Chula Vista yesterday, where you had that area's two main hospitals uh, uh, both declare um, what they what they term an internal disaster uh, at the same time. That's a, that's a term of art in the industry that means that they're no longer confident uh, that they're able to deliver uh, care of the immediacy and quality uh, that they would normally uh, want to assure in terms of making sure that nobody gets hurt uh, or that they're able to triage people and, and then identify who's sick and needs immediate attention and also get them back into somebody quickly that can help them. Uh, you know, so it is kind of a scary uh, situation when hospitals um, raise their hand and say this. Um, Scripps, you know, declared this disaster kind of in the mid-afternoon and, and I got an email from their CEO, Chris Van Gorder, uh, at around 9 p.m. that they had uh, been able to move some pa patients out uh, to other hospitals and that allowed them to come out of that disaster mode. Um, I haven't heard back from uh, Sharp at this point, but we'll be checking in with them a little uh, later in the day to see if they've managed to uh, to unpack that hospital. Hopefully they have. Um, you know, we also are aware of situations uh, where some hospitals um, have had to call in help from the state some additional staffing help uh, to, to help them handle the crush of patients. Um, that appears to be happening uh, to a large extent uh, at Tri-City Medical Center up in Oceanside. Well, I mean, what does this mean for patients and is there any advice or best practices other than don't need a hospital? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you don't wanna be saying to people don't use the hospital. Um, obviously, we want people with emergencies to get in there and get the help from the emergency department. That's where the people are that can help you sit and save your life. Um, but it does help to try to be a little cautious about what you're personally defining as an emergency. Um, you know, if it's just a case where you feel like you can't get into your primary care doctor and you've got a runny nose, and a sore throat, you can ask yourself, you know, is that really an emergency? If you can't get in an urgent care, does that mean that whatever you went to urgent care for is suddenly an emergency? Um, that has been how we humans have acted for uh, decades. Uh, you know, um, emergency rooms have always been kind of a catch-all when, when uh, resources or appointments aren't available in other parts of the system. I mean, who, who among us has not had a doctor say, oh, you know, it's after hours. I just can't help you until the morning. You know, if, if, you, if you feel like you, if you want some help now, just go to your emergency room, you know, and, uh, and we've kind of leaned on the emergency rooms for primary care uh, quite a lot. Um, that's going to be real tough for you right now. If you show up in a, at an emergency room and, and say, hey, I'm here, you know, they're going to ask you why, why you're there. And, and if you, you don't have like, internal pain or some other indicator of some some kind of acute immediate problem they're going to tell you to sit in the waiting room and you're going to be sitting there for three four or five hours so so thinking that you're going to get in right now is probably <laughs> not accurate if, if you've got something that you can bear and doesn't you, you know you're not if you if you if you let's say are covid positive 
and you aren't having any trouble breathing, um, and you have a pulse oximeter at home, and you're and you're able to watch those numbers and chart them, so you can kind of keep an eye on on whether or not you're having breathing problems, um, you know that kind of thing. Um, you're probably better off um, staying away from the emergency rooms because they're just going to make you sit in a waiting room forever anyway. Um, you know, there are enough severe problems. There are enough folks with COVID who are having breathing problems. I was actually uh, at Sharp Memorial yesterday and we took a tour in their uh, medical and surgical department, which usually holds a lot of um, cardiac patients. And it was half full of COVID patients and out. And, you know, everybody in one of those rooms was on supplementary oxygen or some other kind of um, higher caliber intervention like uh, like this drug uh, an antiviral called remdesivir that, that they give you if you have a severe infection and you need to be in the hospital for four or five days while they give you that intravenously so so there, there are plenty of people with covid who are having severe severe enough problems to need <clears throat> a kind of therapy that can only really be delivered in a hospital room that um there's just like a steady enough flow of those folks mixed in amongst the much larger number of people who have minor symptoms that you just never get to the front of the line. Like just when you start to get to the front, another person who's got a low uh, pulse oxygen level shows up and, and they take them over you because, uh, you know, that's how a, an emergency department works. It's, an, it's a triage process and they're taking the most sick people first. So uh, it's just hard to get through the triage process right now with anything that's not pretty severe. Well, knowing what's causing this crush of patients and these backups in hospitals, I mean, is there an end in sight or is this just expected to last uh, for the foreseeable future? Oh, I think there's an end in sight. Um, you know, we've been having so many infections, uh, you know, so many positive tests. Uh, they put up the, the latest numbers for the weekend um, late last night. And, uh, you know, it, it looked like on Friday there were about 10,000 positive tests and that fell to... Uh, 8,000 something on Saturday, then down to 7,000 on Sunday, uh, then back up to 8,000 on Monday. So, you know, we, we did peak out a couple weeks ago at 19,000 in a single day. So it looks like it's the, the number of positives are slowly coming down. And that's what a lot of the experts have really predicted was that, you know, with the amount of social activity that we had where nothing was closed, everything was wide open, that this thing would burn really hot and fast but then come down most likely relatively quickly. Um, so, you know, I, I, and then, uh, you know, they just, uh, they expect hospitalizations to kind of follow that, you know, as the positive cases start dipping, you'll, you'll see the hospitalization rate continue to increase for a couple of weeks. And that's just because it usually takes people a couple of weeks after they get infected, to get sick enough to need to go into a hospital. So that's why the hospitalizations always lag infections. So yeah, I think I think there's every expectation that it's going to come back down. It's probably going to be a few more weeks of really tough times in hospitals. Uh, but after that, I think most uh, experts feel like it should have a relatively quick decline. Okay. Thank you, Paul. Thank you.